0: The following sermon by Nelson Atwood was recorded at Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church. For more information, please visit their website at www.noblebaptist.org.au.
1: That's www.noblebaptist.org.au. Verses 23 to
0: 33. Samuel, please.
1: Look upon their threats, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they, had, in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all.
0: Thanks, Samuel. If you remember two weeks ago, we asked and answered the question, what enabled two uneducated, low-class fishermen to stand and speak boldly before Christ, before the Sanhedrin. What will enable us to stand firm under opposition? And we said that it is a godly character that enables us to stand. It's God working in us that enables us to stand. They had been with Christ and were in continual fellowship with him. They had been, and we must also be, devoted to Jesus Christ. We must be Christ-centered and spirit-filled, God-hearing and God-fearing men and women. They and we must disregard our past forgiven failures. They have been forgiven. They are forgotten by God. We must disregard the worldly comparisons that those Sanhedrin were making, and we must demonstrate godly conduct as they were. They were devoted to God, having seen the risen Christ. No Christian is ever truly alone. Christ is always with us. What else did those apostles and disciples do with the opposition they faced? Did they simply ignore it? How must we handle opposition? Having a godly character and being devoted to Christ enables us to stand firm under opposition. And part of that godly conduct is a prayer-saturated life. First, they reported the opposition to their friends, the church. And that early New Testament church of apostles and disciples handled opposition with corporate God-focused prayer. So first, they reported the grounds for prayer. I want you to notice in Acts 4 and verse 23 that they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. Their situation, the threats they had received, affected them all. And so they reported to the whole church. They reported so that they could all pray together. Brothers and sisters, we need to pray together for those things that affect us all. We also need to pray for those things that affect us individually. There are personal grounds and reasons to pray. But we also need to use great wisdom in when and how we share those individual prayer items. Not every believer in the church has the maturity to handle all things. Some things are of such a personal nature that it is far better to share those things with close believing friends than to share them with the whole wider church. But prayer was their first priority as soon as they had all heard. Notice how they prayed. In verse 23, they lifted their voices. That's the same phrase that we see in chapter 2 and verse 14. As Peter preaches on Pentecost, they prayed as they preached by raising their voices. They unashamedly cried out to God. I was in a prayer meeting on Tuesday mornings with other pastors in the area. And we gathered to pray that God will bless our churches and bring revival and so on. And there was a Korean brother there. And when he began to pray, it was It sort of startled me for a moment because his voice got loud and big and filled the room. But after a moment I thought, what a cool thing to listen to a man who is so in love with God and love with the people of God that he lifted his voice like these people did and he cried out with a volume to God. Sometimes prayer is quiet, a gentle voice speaking with God. Sometimes prayer is to sit speechless before God, unable to express our hearts in coherent speech. It's a silent prayer. I think we've all been in those moments when the only thing that we can say is, oh, God, oh, God. And our hearts just break and we can't even say the words. But prayer at times also needs to be a raised voice crying out to God, as they did here. I want you to notice that they also lifted their voices together. It's the same word in Acts 1:14 where they prayed together. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, on Pentecost morning, before the Spirit came and was poured out, they were all together. In Acts two forty six, the Bible again says they were together. It means the same mind, the same heart, the same soul, and the same purpose. We get the very same concept down in verse 33 where it says, um, no, sorry, verse 32 where it says, we're of one heart and one soul. It's that same idea. They prayed with a unity of mind and heart and soul together. Brothers and sisters, may I suggest that one of the most effective ways that we as a church can develop and preserve unity in the body here at Noble Park Baptist Church is by praying together in corporate prayer. As Brian's told you, Many times, the prayer meeting is the most important meeting of the church. As your pastor and one of the many who needs and values prayer, I encourage you with all my heart to come and pray with us. Wednesdays at 7.30 at night or here on Sunday mornings at 9.30, come and pray. Brothers and sisters, we need to be a people of prayer. Notice also the grounds of their prayer is opposition. Opposition. We, by God's design, have not yet experienced the opposition as they had. They were arrested. They were jailed overnight. They were questioned and they were threatened. And opposition came against them. But opposition comes in all shapes and all sizes. Listen, opposition is anything the devil can bring against us within God's restraints to tempt us to abandon our faith in God. Anything the devil can do, whether it's of arrest or jailing or threats against the apostles, maybe it was financial and emotional and physical sufferings of Job. Maybe it was the, the wilderness and Gethsemane temptations of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was throwing everything he could to try and get those to abandon their faith in God. Great obstacles. Great trials, great difficulties, medical and health situations, financial difficulties, problems with children or problems with parents. Opposition is whatever the devil can use to tempt us to abandon our faith in God and live and walk in the way of the ungodly. Opposition may also come in forms like this. Great wealth and material success if that can draw our hearts away from following God. All of the world's perceived blessings can be in opposition to try and draw our hearts away from following God. Anything the devil can use to try and draw our hearts away from Christ is opposition against our faith and against God. Brothers and sisters, we must, like them, handle opposition with prayer, raising our voices together together in single-minded, single-hearted prayer to God. Jesus himself responded to opposition with prayer and then the scriptures. Are there any other reasons which we report and share with the church and for which we pray besides oppositions? Of course, all the blessings for which we give thanks to God. How slow we are to give thanks to God for the things that he has provided. And that's grounds for us to gather to pray. All of the unsaved for which we know and we're in relationship with, we gather and pray that God will save those. But the focus in this text is prayer in response to opposition. So first they reported the grounds and then they prayed, remembering the God to whom they were crying out to. So notice, secondly, they remembered the God of prayer, our sovereign Lord. Look at the text in verses 24 to 30. Let's read it again. It says, when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. In their prayer, they're recalling Psalm 2, applying it to our Lord Jesus and his arrest and trial and suffering. They're remembering wonderful truths about God in prayer. In some ways, it's similar to what the Lord Jesus and how he taught us to pray. He said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And in so doing, he taught us to remember great truths about God. He is our Father, the life-giving God. He gave us life. He caused us to be born again. He is in heaven. That's the exalted, enthroned God that he is describing to us as we pray. He's holy absolutely separate and free from sin and defilement. He's the king of kings reigning over his kingdom. He has a will that's exercised in perfect obedience in heaven. Jesus, as he was teaching his disciples to pray, was reminding them of those truths. So as they approach God in prayer, they would remember and recall those things. And as the church gathers to pray, They're remembering some wonderful, great truths about God as they approach him in prayer. It reminded them of the God to whom they pray. I want you to notice, first of all, in verse 24, he is sovereign. They address him as the sovereign Lord. It describes his absolute authority and his unrestrained power. It means God who is in authority over all that exists. It means God who is in control over all his creation. It means God who is all powerful to act and intervene. Our God, the one we worship, is the sovereign goal, God, sorry, in control of all his creation. Even the devil. And the demons are still under his control and can only act inside of God's restraints and permission. We pray to the sovereign Lord because he is the highest authority with the greatest power to act and answer. Notice secondly, verse 24, he creates. Look what it says. It says he made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. God is the only creating God. God created all of existence, both physical and spiritual. God, the Bible says in Isaiah 45 and verse 7, that he creates both light and darkness, both well-being and calamity. He is the Lord who does all these things. God has a purpose for all of his creation, and that includes you and I. The glory of Christ and the glory of his name is that purpose. God knows his creation in the tiniest of details. It seems like the scientists, whenever they figure out, hey, this is the smallest building block, and then some other guy comes along with a bigger microscope, they go, oh, you remember that small building block? Well, it's made up of even smaller building blocks. And the funny thing is that God knows the ones they haven't found yet. He knows every tiny detail in intimate detail. He knows it all. Everything that we must face and cope with falls inside of God's creation. And so we pray to the one who created. If we're praying about opposition to the gospel as they were, we remember that God created those who oppose us we remember that they're under God's restraining hand. Our freedom, our finances, our lives, they may take away, but they can never take our God or our salvation from us. If we're praying about health issues, we remember that God created our bodies. God knows far more than we or any doctor will ever know about our bodies or how those diseases and problems work. God knows that. We pray to the God who created all things. We are speaking to the source designer and manufacturer of all things, whatever the subject of our prayer may be. We pray to God who is absolute in his authority, who is unrestrained in his power, who is ultimate and only creator of all things, who alone can most effectively answer our prayers. And you describe a God so big like that. And you know what the most amazing thing is? A God so great and so big still has the grace to stoop down. In a sense, as it were, like a great man kneeling down to listen to the tiny voice of a little child. There's grace in our God who hears our prayers. But he is a great God. Notice thirdly from verse 25, he is the God who speaks. Look what it says in verse 25, who, speaking of God, through the mouth of our father David, your servant said. So God spoke. He spoke through David, revealing what was going to happen, what he was going to do, what would be the outcome of all of God's actions. God has revealed all that we need to know in his word there's so much more we would like to know, but God, for our good and his glory, has not revealed those things to us. When will Christ return? You had discovered this week reading the Bible that we are waiting for and hastening the day of God. Which means that God has it perfectly planned out. And as long as we keep responding in faith and obedience, that day is getting closer and closer. And we don't know what it might be, but God has revealed what we do know to pray. God has spoken and revealed himself and his mind and will to us. We pray to God who's revealed all we need to know to pray effectively. God told them and us what would happen to the Lord Jesus. They recognized that in God's sovereignty, the evil which men enacted against the Lord Jesus was a part of God's perfect plan for the salvation of men and women. They also knew the balance of Psalm 2. When you see, by the way, as you're reading your Bible and you see a reference to a Psalm or a reference to an Old Testament text in the New Testament, don't assume that that's just the one point they wanted to make. Often they refer to that in an allusion to the wider text that surrounds that quote. So when he refers to Psalm 2 here, the idea isn't just those verses, but there's also what goes with them back in Psalm 2. And we know from that Psalm, it calls the same kings and rulers who gathered themselves together against the Lord and his anointed, he calls those ones to serve the Lord with fear and trembling. The Psalm 2 calls them to kiss the son. What does that mean? To kiss the son means a kiss of allegiance and deference and obedience to the king. From the scriptures, this early church had the confidence to face what was coming and to pray as they prayed because God had spoken and revealed to them all they needed to know to pray wisely And effectively, they knew that God remains triumphant over all the kingdoms of men. They can threaten them. They can put them in jail. They can arrest them. They can beat them. Eventually, they'll start killing off the disciples, one after the other. But all the way through, the church knew that God is still triumphant. And whatever happens in Canberra or London or Washington, D.C. or wherever the governments of the world gather, our God is still triumphant over them all. And We come and we appeal and we pray to God who is sovereign over all. They knew that God remains triumphant over all the kingdoms of men. They knew the scriptures that gave them the context to understand their own situation As followers of Christ, knowing the scriptures, brothers and sisters will give us the correct understanding of God and our situation so that we will pray wisely and effectively. Why do you think we link Bible study and prayer so often together? Because the Bible study teaches us how and what we should pray and prayer is an opportunity to respond to God in what we are learning and understanding. Knowing the Scriptures will give us the words to pray. You you ever struggle knowing how to pray for somebody? If you want to learn how to pray more effectively, and I sure hope you do, I do, read the Psalms. Read the words of Scripture because they will give you the words, the phrases, the understanding, the way that the biblical writers under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote and responded to God, will teach us how we should respond to God in prayer. We pray, brothers and sisters, to God who has spoken, revealing himself. We pray to a God who alone can answer our prayers. I want you to notice, fourthly, in verse 28, he predestines. Look what he says. The rulers and kings gathered together, Sorry, Gary, let me try that again in English. The Notice verse 28, the rulers and kings gathered themselves together to do what God's hand and plan had predestined to take place. Now, we sort of touched on this already, so we won't overdo it, but God predestined, meaning that he predetermined ahead of time to occur whatever was according to his plan. But in this case... As we've already said, it was the rulers and kings gathered against the Lord Jesus. one of the questions that's often fired at us Reformed folk is this. If God predestines things, why do we bother to pray? You may have thought that question yourself. If God does predestine things, why do we bother to pray? And the answer is simply this. We pray precisely because God has predestined things. You say, that's double talk. No, it's not. God's predestining work includes our prayers. God sovereignly uses our prayers to bring about his predestined purposes, just as he used those ungodly men to bring about his purposes in Christ's suffering and Christ's death. God uses our prayers to bring about his purposes. The clearest and often repeated example is Moses on top of the mountain with God in Exodus 32. The people in the valley have sinned with the golden calf, and God declares, Let me alone in my anger that my wrath may burn hot, that I may consume them, that I may make a nation of you, Moses. What's God doing He's waiting for his servant to do what he planned and predestined him to do. He's waiting for Moses to step forward and stand in the gap like a tiny little wax figurine in front of a blast furnace. Moses stands up and he puts his foot down and he says, No! No, Lord! And he pleads with God, lest God's name suffer shame because... It seemed like God could not deliver his people out of the land and into Israel. God's plans included Moses interceding for Israel. God accomplishes his plans using the prayers of his people. We pray, brothers and sisters, because God predestines and plans and purposes things. So we remember the God to whom we pray. We remember that he is a sovereign Lord, absolute authority and unrestrained power. We remember he is God who creates all things. We remember he is God who has spoken, revealing himself to us. We remember he is God who predestines using our prayers. Now, when I created your little note sheet there, I had in mind to bring out two more sub points. But I think for the sake of time, I'm just going to mention them and move on. So it won't uh, take too long to get to the end. Fifthly, verse 29, God sees. In verse 29, the apostles call on God in their prayer. Look upon their threats. They can pray and ask because God sees all. Hey, you know what, brothers and sisters? There is nothing that you and I Bring to God in prayer that he doesn't already know infinitely more about it than you do. (laughs) Lord, did you know? Yes. Lord, but I already know. So you say, "Well, well, then why pray? Because God delights to hear his children's voice. Because God uses the prayers of brothers and sisters in Christ. Because God delights it when his people come together and cry out to him to fulfill his purposes. To enable them to get through whatever they're facing. We don't bring anything to God that he doesn't already know about, but he loves to hear his people pray. In verses 29 and 31, the sixth point there, he hears and answers, which is our last main point anyway. So to recap our main points, we report the grounds of our prayer, which is opposition to our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we gather together to pray. We remember the God to whom we pray, who is glorious and majestic, and the third, last main point is this. We request the goal in prayer, which is perseverance. Notice verses 29 and 31. He says, actually, just verse 29. He says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Their goal, their request was perseverance to continue to speak boldly for Christ. How many of us, when we come face-to-face with opposition of whatever kind it is, we immediately plead with God to remove the opposition? I do. I'm sad and I'm ashamed to admit it, but there are times when opposition comes, I just cry out to God, get it out of my... I don't want to deal with this struggle, this problem, this pain. But you know what? Brothers and sisters, we pray just like spoiled rich kids at times, don't we? Father, remove all my suffering, my struggles, my difficulties. Give me the easy life without any struggle. It will be so much easier to trust you. But that's not how these dear believers pray. Listen to what they say. They don't say, Lord, stop the Sanhedrin. They say, Lord, give us that we might continue to speak boldly. They pray for grace to obey all the way to the end. These dear believers pray that God will enable them to endure, to speak, and witness to Christ with boldness in the face of the coming opposition. I finished, by the way, reading through Acts this week. You know what's in the last sentence of Acts? This is cool. Take your Bibles. Flip over to Acts chapter 28. Some of you already know the story. Paul is in Rome. He's under arrest. Within months, possibly a year at the most, he's about to face his own execution. And you know what the Bible says? In verse 30 of Romans eight, or Romans, verse 30 of Acts 28 I'll get it right. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, verse 31, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. Isn't that great? I love it. They start praying at the very beginning of the book of Acts that God will give them boldness to speak. And the closing line of the book of Acts, they're still speaking with boldness. That's great news. It's news that the prayers we pray for the church may not be seen in our day, but God will answer those prayers. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow, but God will answer. And sometimes God starts answering the moment we begin to pray and keeps on answering all the way into history. They're praying that God will give them boldness, and the end of the book is they're still speaking with boldness. The best way we can pray for one another in the face of opposition, listen, is not to pray each other out of it, but to pray each other through it. It was said uh, when the the Iron Curtain finally fell, and believers from the Soviet Union and other communist-held countries, they started sending missionaries to the Western countries to preach the gospel because the Western church had forgotten the gospel. they said the difference between the prayer requests of those believers behind the Soviet Union curtain or the the communist iron curtain and believers in the West is the believers in the Soviet Union prayed, Lord, get us through this opposition. And the believers in the West were too busy praying, Lord, get us out of it. And what God accomplished with the persecution and suffering behind the Iron Curtain, with all those churches, and God is still doing in places like China and Korea and the Middle East, was he was massively strengthening his church as believers prayed for one another to get through it, not to get out of it. Listen, God has so much to teach us through opposition, the opposition that we face, praying and seeking removal from it, may, in fact, listen, to be praying against God's purposes. Now, that's a tough one, isn't it? And, you know, I, I, to use a story from my childhood, my, my little brother was learning how to ski. Um, I tried skiing once, and I found you could do better on your back and just slide down the hill because that's what I wound up anyway when I tried to ski. But my brother had some skis, and, I, and he was learning how to ski. And he was kept falling over, kept falling over, kept falling over. And my dad kept picking him up and putting him back down. And my brother's crying his eyes out. And then my dad kept going, try again, try again. And I kept saying, just let him alone, right? I mean, I said it from a good distance from my dad so he wouldn't you know, do anything about it. But I said, just leave him alone. And my dad said, stop, you'll get it. And all of a sudden, the difficulty and the pain of falling over begin to give way to skiing further and further and further down the hill. And before you know it, he was skiing no problem at all. You see, sometimes we are so concerned. We see somebody in pain and struggling, and we want to get them out of it. But the real reason is God has put them there for a purpose. And God in grace will enable them to endure and get through it. God has so much to teach us through the opposition we face. Remember Peter? Jesus is standing there and he's telling the disciples about his coming suffering. And Peter says, come here, Lord. He takes him by the shoulder, leads him over one side. Now, this is never going to happen, you know. We're going to sort this out. And he begins to rebuke Jesus. Can you imagine rebuking the Lord of glory for his words? And Jesus turned around and he saw the other disciples stand there and he turned back to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Satan. This is his best friend that he's speaking to because he saw and heard in the words of Peter Satan's attempt to draw him out and pull him away from opposition, which would accomplish God's purposes. God has so much to teach us through opposition. He has so much to accomplish through us. The difficult times that you're facing, brother and sister in Christ, as you go through them, God is preparing you for something that's coming next. And God is maybe going to use you in a way you couldn't even believe possible right now. And the opposition you're facing is what God is teaching, that he might use you in another way, another purpose further down the road. He is maybe preparing you to be a minister somewhere else. God has so much to accomplish through us just as surely as the Lord accomplished salvation through Jesus' suffering and just as surely as the Lord accomplished the great spread of the gospel through the suffering of the early church and just as surely as the Lord massively strengthened the church behind the Iron Curtain in Korea and China and the Middle East through decades of suffering and persecution in so many other ways possible God will accomplish much through your trials and struggles and sufferings and difficulties. It's not just what he's doing in you. He's what he's doing through you for other people too. Listen, pray each other through those times. They prayed for the grace of God to enable them to continue speaking the word of God boldly in the face of opposition. Remember that op- opposition is whatever the devil can bring at you to tempt you to abandon your faith in God. Opposition may be sickness. It may be loneliness. It may be financial hardship. It may be broken personal relationships. It may be children turned against parents. It may be parents unfairly treating sons and daughters. Opposition may be mistreatment at your workplace because you're a Christian. Opposition may be ungodly acquaintances pressuring you to disobey God and abandon faith. And so praying for perseverance will always be prayer To continue to trust in God and to obey God, whatever the opposition may be. And that's exactly what they were praying here. They prayed requesting the goal of prayer, which is perseverance. Listen, perseverance glorifies God because it displays God and our obedience and faith in him as of higher value than being released from opposition. In other words, in love for God, we would rather obey God and endure the suffering in those circumstances than abandon our faith and obedience to God so the opposition is pulled away. It's better to go through the opposition with God than to get out of the opposition alone. And we nod. Yeah, we do. That's, it's right. And I do, too. And there's a piece he wants to just Duck. Because something will come to test my own words. Perseverance glorifies God because it displays to others our infinitely high value in God and our obedience and faith in him. The Sanhedrin threatened them, seeking to move them to abandon their faith in God and their obedience speaking for Christ. And so the church reported the grounds of prayer opposition, and they prayed together with one mind and one heart and one soul. They remembered the God to whom they prayed, the sovereign, creating, speaking, predestining God, the all seeing God who answers his people's prayers. They requested the goal of prayer, which was perseverance. Brothers and sisters, we all face opposition of one kind or another. And your opposition is whatever the devil is throwing at you to try and make you abandon your faith in God, just like he was doing here in Acts 4. Brothers and sisters, we all face it, so we must pray. We are privileged to pray. We have a God Just think about this. You ever get with somebody that you really, really, really want to talk to? And and you started to pour out your heart to them and somebody else came along and distracted them. and, And you waited and you got them back and you tried to talk to them again. And somebody else came along and distracted them and then you had to wait and you finally got them again to talk to them. You know the wonderful thing is? Peter can be praying on one side of the room and he has the Lord's full attention. Brian can be praying in the back of the room and he has the Lord's full attention. And Kathy's praying over here and she has the Lord's full attention. And a hundred million other Christians around the world are all praying at the same time. And they, we all, we all have God's full attention. He hears every word we pray. And when we cry out to God for one another, He's listening. He's hearing. And he is the God who is able to answer those prayers in exactly the way he plans and purposes to for his glory and for our good. And brother and sister, it may not be that that opposition will evaporate. It may get harder. But we have the sure knowledge that God knows exactly what he is doing. And even in the midst of those tremendous difficulties that we all face, the opposition that we face, he will give us a peace. Take your Bibles, one final verse, and then we'll, we'll pray. Philippians chapter 4. You already know the verse I'm going to. Philippians 4, beginning at verse 4, Paul is writing to the church of Philippi. He's writing, by the way. And every time he moves his hand to write with a pen, there's a clank of a chain as it rattles and he writes. He's writing by a dim candle in the bottom of a jail, a dungeon cell. And this is what he writes Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. What he means, he's right there with you. The Lord is with you. Do not be anxious, verse 6, about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. You read through the book of the, the martyrs, Fox's book of martyrs, or you pick up, um, there's a little book that you can get, it's called Jesus Freaks, It's about uh, martyrs, modern and ancient, who died for Christ. One of the striking things you'll see in those books and those stories is a tremendous peace that martyrs had as they went to face their death. They went there with the peace of God that was guarding their hearts and minds even as they faced unbearable pain. Whatever your opposition is that you're facing, Christian, God is with you. He has not left you. He will not leave you. If you're comfortable doing it, bring it to the church and we will pray together. If it affects the church, bring it to the church and we can all pray together. You can join hearts and join minds and join souls, join arms and pray and lift one another up before the living God. You can remember the God who hears the prayer. And we'll pray that each other will get through those oppositions that we all face. All right, let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we come before you again this morning. No, Lord, we continue before you. We remember that you are at hand. You are with us through all these things that we face. And Father, there are some in this room who are facing what seems like overwhelming opposition, and the temptation is to draw away, to pull back, to abandon faith in God. Father, I plead with you for them that you would strengthen their faith. Enable them, O God, to continue in faith and obedience all the way through that circumstance. Father, give them the peace that passes all understanding to guard their heart and mind in whatever they are facing. Father, for our brothers and sisters around the world that are facing not just struggles and difficulties, they're facing persecution and great suffering, pain, and in some cases, death for their faith in God. Father, we cry out to you for them. You know, oh God, their names. You know their families. You know every single circumstance to the most intimate detail. Father, we pray that you would get them through it. Enable their faith to stand firm and stand strong. Father, we would not be spoiled rich kids. We keep seeking that you would get us out of difficulty. But Father, we pray that we would follow the Lord Jesus Christ as he picked up his cross and bore it to a shameful, horrific death. He calls us to do the same. Lord, we pray that you would get us through. Finish the work that you started in each of us. Father, give us the grace to endure. We plead with you, O God. Father, we pray too for the unity of this church. We pray, O God, that we would be a people who are like those described in the book of Acts, together, one heart, one mind, joined together with a common goal to worship and glorify the living Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would put a hedge around this church, protect us from the opposition of the enemy. But Father, when it does come for your purposes, Then give us the grace and the faith and the strength to get through it. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus' words Come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. My burden is light. Father, it's not non existent, it's light. And Father, we thank you that we have the tremendous. Freedom, the the great privilege, O God, to wrap our arms around the Lord Jesus' shoulders and shoulder the burden together with him. And Father, we thank you for Paul's great words. The Lord is at hand. He's close by. He stands with you. And just as surely, O God, as he stood with those two men as they faced the 71 Sanhedrin and he was with them as they spoke, Father, we thank you that he is with us. Father, he's with us whether it's a hospital bed or whether it's financial struggles. He's with us when loved ones turn away. He's with us when broken relationships happen. He's with us, oh God, when hurt and problems and loneliness arise. Father, we thank you for the great truth that we are never truly alone when we stand with Jesus. Father, we ask you for strength. We plead with you, O God, that you would do your work in us this day to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask you these things, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen.